Good morning. I don't know about you, but uh, I've never heard one of our announcements actually get applause before, so Mark might have a new job. Uh, but uh, So we're thankful for that, but we're more thankful for the fact that God continues to provide and bless and allow us to help with others' needs. And uh, you'll hear a little bit more about that later as we kind of go through uh, our passage of Scripture today and as we approach the Lord's table as we do each month. So we're going to be in Nehemiah chapter 10. So turn there with me. Uh, I would love for you to follow along. You can do that in your Bibles, and I'm, I'm sure you have some other way to do that. But you can also use your scripture journals. So hopefully you've continued to follow along. We've been trekking for months now through Nehemiah. Uh, I pray that it's been a blessing to you, uh, even half as much as it's been to me, uh, getting to study through God's word here in this particular book of the Bible. But uh, these are a wonderful place for you to keep your notes, go back to, kind of hold on to them. So I'd encourage you to continue to do that as we go. Nehemiah chapter 10, we're going to look at verses 32 through 39 this morning, and it's kind of a tag team. It's a follow-up to last week's sermon because I uh, didn't really have enough time to fit everything into one week uh, for these three things uh, that the Lord presents to us in Nehemiah chapter 10. But these three evidences that the people's response, so just a short matter of review for us, what we're looking at is the people of God responding to the word of God being proclaimed to them and then explained to them and them being brought to conviction that they were not actually following it as well as they needed to be, and they had forgotten some things about what God had done for them. So that reminder led to what we're seeing here in chapter 10, where the people are responding with life change. It's not just lip service. So they're not just saying, yes, we're glad the word of God was read to us from Ezra, that Ezra got that in front of us, and some of the elders came down into the crowd, explained it to us. Thank you for that. It wasn't enough to go that far. They needed to go all the way farther than that and say, based upon what we've heard from God's word, based upon how it's been explained to us, and based upon the Spirit's conviction in our lives, we're going to change some things. There's some things that need to look differently about how we live based upon what God has said and what he's called us to. And in chapter 10, that's where we pick up again here. We're picking up the third part of this response. The, the first two that we talked about last week. The first one was they committed to submitting themselves to the word of God. They committed to the word of God being over them and them actually listening and doing what it says. And it was not a light commitment because we know, and we talked about this last week, vows towards the Lord, these oaths that they took towards God, they were described very in-depthly for them about what that means. And what that means was very serious. It was not something to take lightly or go back on later. This was something that people were saying, we are committed to God's word and to allowing that to have authority in our lives. The second thing we talked about last week was they committed to following the Lord's leading in separating themselves from some of the Gentile or pagan nations around them that were not following God and not separating themselves completely because they were still called to be an example to those nations, but to separate themselves in a healthy way so that the people around them would see that God's people live differently and that God has a plan for his people and that because they live differently, because they live lives committed to him, other nations and other peoples around them would look and say, I want more of that. I, I, need to, I need to understand what it is that they know about the God of the universe that I don't. So submission of the word of God and separation as the people of God were the first two commitments they made. 
We're going to talk today about the third one. So verse 32. Verse 32 down through the end of the chapter takes us through this third area that the people are committing themselves to, and it is this. They verbally and publicly stand up and say, we will commit to support the work of God. We will commit to knowing who is the true owner of all things, including the things that we think we own. And we will commit to our resources that God has entrusted us with being part of the work of God going forward. Support for the work of God. There's a phrase that comes through these verses we're going to read in just a moment that's repeated nine different times. And it's the house of our God. The house of our God is repeated. And if you're taking notes or highlighting, feel free to do that as we go through today so that you're reminded of that's what they're talking about. And we're going to define that for us because we are in a slightly different place than the people of Israel were in Ezra and Nehemiah's time about what the house of our God actually means and how we exhibit that. But this phrase is repeated for us so that we understand the people are committing themselves to taking care of the house of God. The people were promising to God that they would obey his law and his commands, that they would provide for the ministry needs at the temple. Verse 39 says in closing, we will not forsake the house of our God. So let's read these verses, 32 through 39, and start to unpack what it is that God was teaching the Israelites and what it is that we can learn and exhibit as well as we commit to following him. Verse 32 of chapter 10 The people continued on. He says, we also take on ourselves the obligation to give yearly a third part of a shekel for the service of the house of our God. For the showbread, the regular grain offering, the regular burnt offering, the Sabbaths, the new moons, the appointed feasts, the holy things, and the sin offerings to make atonement for Israel and for all the work of the house of our God. We, the priests, the Levites, and the people, have likewise cast lots for the wood offering to bring it into the house of our God, according to our Father's houses at times appointed year by year to burn on the altar of the Lord our God, as it is written in the law. We obligate ourselves to bring the first fruits of our ground and the first fruits of all the fruit of every tree year by year to the house of our Lord. Also to bring to the house of our God, to the priests who minister in the house of our God, the firstborn of our sons and of our cattle, as it is written in the law, and the firstborn of our herds and of our flocks, and to bring the first of our dough and our contributions, the fruit of every tree, the wine and the oil to the priests, to the chambers of the house of our God, and to bring to the Levites the tithes from our ground. For it is the Levites who collect the tithes in all our towns where we labor." And the priest, the son of Aaron, shall be with the Levites. And when the Levites receive the tithes, the Levites shall bring up the tithe of the the tithes to the house of our God, to the chambers of the storehouse. For the people of Israel and the sons of Levi shall bring the contribution of grain, wine, and oil to the chambers, where the vessels of the sanctuary are, as well as the priests who minister and the gatekeepers and the singers. We will not neglect the house of our God. So God's word as he brings it to us this morning is this reminder, and it's summed up in that very last phrase in verse 39, but it's repeated all throughout. 
The people were committing not only to be under submission to the word of God and not only to separate themselves to God from the things of the world around them, but also to support the ministry of God by not forgetting the house of their God. And now for the Israelites, the house of their God was a place. It was the temple where the ministry of God happened. For them, that's the old covenant and that's where the work of God took place. The priests were there. They had to go there for regular sacrifices. They had to go there to, to hear things from the word of God. They had, they had to regularly interact with the temple and the keepers of the temple. They were committing themselves to making sure the ministry of God continued and was provided for so that it could continue. This was a very tangible sign. They, they trusted God and all they had was from him. See, the people had understood and, and had been given to Moses much earlier in the law that what the people had came from God. And if you remember the examples from God's story, when they were wandering in the wilderness and they had nothing and they had no ability to plant crops, they had no ability to take care of themselves, what did God do? He took care of them. And that was a lesson that they were called to remember. If you remember in the previous chapters, this Feast of Booths, they were called to remember the fact that they were going to leave their house, live in a shack built by branches, so that they could be reminded that even in difficult times, especially in difficult times, God is a provider. God is the one who takes care. And he is not short on resources either. And he wanted his people to remember that. The phrase that I've heard from many an older saint as we've grown up in the church, and it's this, you can't outgive God. You just can't. See, we, we sometimes get a little kind of, I don't know what the word is, but we, we drop a lot of barriers when we start talking about this topic, right? We start talking about who owns your stuff, right? The problem is too often our stuff owns us. And we can't make decisions free of that. And what God wants us to remember is that he is the owner of all things. He is the provider of all things. And I know you work hard and you get paid and you get to purchase things with that. And those things aren't bad. But you have to dial that all the way back to the beginning and know this. If we believe, which we've talked about as a church, that there is a specific identity that every believer is one into and empowered to through the work of the Holy Spirit is that every single one of us as followers of Christ is a missionary. God provides for you in lots of different ways. We are all missionaries sent with the power of the Holy Spirit to bring the word of God to everyone around us. God just chooses to route your paychecks through different sources. And he does that in a multitude of ways. But your job that you have, that's a gift from God. The way he takes care of you and provides for you, that's a good gift from God. And the Israelites were reminded of this because God took them to a place where they had no ability to provide for themselves. And he provided. So that when they did have the ability to provide for themselves, they wouldn't forget it. 
And this is what the people are reminded of as they get into this section in Nehemiah 10. They're reminded of the fact that everything they have is not theirs to possess. For the people of God, what you have is yours to steward. And steward is a very different word than possess. A steward only does what the owner has given them to do with things. A steward knows their commands. They know their calling. They know what they're called to do with things. And they just carry it out. And that's who we are as God's people. We recognize that God is the owner of all things. He gives us things to steward. But he also tells us exactly how we're to steward them. And it's obedience and faith that allows us to work that out. The people taking care of the temple and the people taking care of the Levites was a tangible sign that they trusted God and they knew that all they had was from him and that the mission of God going forward, which was the people being able to commune with God and nations around them seeing that they had that relationship, that's the mission, that that had to continue. And they needed to provide so that that could continue. So what did they give? They gave a number of different things here. And we're going to start with uh, not the very first couple of verses because we're going to come back to those that are connected to the, the later ones. But in verse 34, he says, We, the priests, the Levites, and the people, have what likewise cast lots for the wood offering to bring it into the house of our God, according to our Father's houses, at times appointed year by year to burn on the altar of the Lord our God. Wood itself was an incredibly valuable resource in this day and age because it gave lots of things to the people. Gave light, gave heat, gave warmth, gave them the ability to cook. See, wood was this incredible, it was a natural resource, but it was incredibly valuable to the people. And it was incredibly valuable to God's work. Why? Because there was a sacrificial system in place that there had to be things burnt on the altar. And that required wood. And because the nation of Israel was in the millions at this point, it required a lot of wood. So instead of the Levites and the priests spending all their time out in the woods cutting wood, how did God arrange this to work? He arranged God's people to provide from the wood that they had that they used for their resources that God had given them to sustain them and allow them to do all the things they needed to and take a portion of that and give it to the Levites and the priests so it could be used at the house of God. So that the Levites and the priests could do the work of God and not be out cutting wood, chopping wood all the time. But we could be committed to what God had called them to do amongst the people of God, which was lead spiritually and conduct the sacrificial system. So they gave this wood, and if you read back through the law, and we don't have time to unpack all of this, but if you read back through the law and the commandments, the, what happened was the Levites and the priests got up, and they gave each tribe, and then it kind of broke down from the tribes down into the households, what time of year they were supposed to bring their wood offering to the temple. So the people are saying, we haven't been doing that. We haven't done that. Worship and the sacrificial system has been hindered because we haven't done that. So we need to get back on that. It's important. It's important for God's work to continue to go forward so that we can continue to have the relationship with God that he's called us to have. 
which is one of sacrifice and commitment and connection and forgiveness. And this needed to continue on. The temple is where that took place in the Old Covenant. What else did they give? Verse 35 says, we obligate ourselves. And obligate is this interesting word, right? When we think of the word obligation, I think primarily it comes at a negative kind of perspective, right? Why are you doing something? Well, I'm obligated to. I'm required to do it. Somebody else who's in charge of some system makes it so that I have to do that, right? You're, you're obligated to pay your taxes. I mean, there's options not to, but they don't usually end well. Right? We're obligated to things in this world. So what are the people doing here? They're not saying someone else is obligating us. This is an interesting point here in verse 35. It says who? That was pretty weak. It's just the first word in verse 35. It's not hard. It's only two letters. Who is obligating? We are. The people are standing before God and everybody else and saying, we are placing this responsibility on ourselves. Why? So that we don't vilify someone else when it gets difficult. We've got nobody to look at except in the mirror. Because we understand right now this is the right thing to do. This is what God's called us to. And we are obligating ourselves. We are committing ourselves. We're requiring ourselves to do this. He says, we obligate ourselves to bring the first fruits of our ground and the first fruits of all fruit of every tree, year by year, to the house of the Lord. Verse 36. Also, to bring to the house of our God the firstborn of our sons and of our cattle, as it is written in the law, and the firstborn of our herds and of our flocks, and to bring the first of our dough and the first of our, and our contributions, the fruit of every tree, the wine and the oil, to the priests, to the chambers of the house of our God, and to bring to the Levites the tithes from our ground. For it is the Levites who collect the tithes in all our towns where we labor." This next commitment, apart from the wood offering that kept the sacrificial system going so that people's sins could be taken care of and they could commune with the Lord, the second part here is this idea of a first fruits. They were committed. The people of God were called by God way back when God gave them the law to give the first of everything back to him. First of their cattle, first of their harvest, it also says our firstborn sons. And what that meant was to bring them to the temple and commit them to God. That God had given them this gift. And the firstborn sons in, in this day and age were, the, were a hugely pivotal point for a family. It meant your name was going to carry on. It meant your family was going to carry on. But the firstborn sons also had huge responsibility. If anything happened to the dad, it was their job to step up. So this idea that not only the firstborn of their sons was going to be committed to the Lord's work and committed to doing what God had called them to do, but also the first fruits of everything. So if you read that list, we're not going to keep going through it, but the first fruits of everything, fruits of the tree, crops that came from the ground, cattle that God had given them, wine, oil, everything, the first fruits went to the Lord. This is a pretty interesting concept. 
Because I think sometimes when we think about giving to the Lord or giving to the Lord's work, it's often at the end of things, right? We'll make sure we take care of our needs. We'll make sure we take care of our bills. And then we'll probably do some fun stuff. And then there's hopefully some stuff left over. And we'll, we'll give it to the Lord's work. See, just conceptually, the problem with that is we're showing and demonstrating that those other things are more important and take first place over committing ourselves to God's work. See, what God ingrained in his people, the Israelites, was this. You give first, then you take care of the other things. You give off the top, not off the bottom. This is a tough concept. I, I totally understand this with you, right? This is difficult. Many of us live paycheck to paycheck, and you're probably wondering right now, Pastor Rob, I, I don't always know where things are going to come from. Here's what I want to tell you. God will take care of it. He promises to. He keeps on showing us he does it. And if you trust him, he will provide. If you're faithful, he will provide. If you manage the resources that he's given you, not yours, because ownership is important when we start talking about this stuff. If you manage the resources he's given you the way he's called you to do it, you will have nothing to worry about. God will provide for your needs. And now, he doesn't always do that the way that we think he should. And the interesting point here is, and I have this conversation often with my kids, right? The word need. Need. It's a different word than want. Okay? They're spelled different. They're said different. And they mean completely different things. Okay? So whenever I hear someone comes to me and says, man, I just have this need. And I usually pause and say, need's a really strong word. That like, I mean, are you talking about like a need? Or are you talking about like a need? Right? Like, like you're not going to live if this doesn't happen. God promises to take care of his people. But he calls us to steward his resources the way he wants us to. And the people of God here in Nehemiah chapter 10, basically, this is the longest section of commitment here. You notice that? The beginning of the chapter, the other couple commitments they're making are a little bit shorter, a little more direct, and just kind of boom. This is a huge one. You want to know why? Because our stuff owns us if we're not careful. And if we don't understand what God's called us to do with the things he has provided for us, we will struggle with this greatly. So what does he say here? He's asking them to Give the wood offering that he had already commanded them so that the work of God could continue. He's asking them to give of their first fruits off the front end, giving to the Lord, back to the Lord, not off what's left. And then he asks here the last section, verse 37 through 39, which is connected to the first few verses, 32 and 33. Look at verse 37 with me. He says, to bring the first of our dough and our contributions, the fruit of every tree, the wine, the oil, to the priests, to the chambers of the house of our God, to bring to the Levites the tithes from the ground, 
For it is the Levites who collect the tithes in all our towns where we labor. We're just again, once again, reminded of this word tithe. And tithe is, the word just simply means a tenth. Okay, so one-tenth of things. And I know, as soon as I say the word tithe, I'm not sure what your background is, but you're probably thinking something that's completely distracting right now. Okay? So do me a favor, reel, reel yourself and your thoughts back in here, and let's focus on what God's really saying here. What he's saying is, and we have a tendency to think this, we'll give a tenth of what we get paid in a paycheck, and then we'll check that box and just move on with life. But did you happen to read the tithes that he's calling them to here? It's not just a tenth of their paycheck, it's a tenth of everything. It's a tenth of all they grow. It's a tenth of all they own. It's a tenth of what they do make. It's a, it's a tenth of a lot of stuff. It's not just simply one-tenth and then off. And the idea is not the number. So don't get caught up in the number. The idea is there was a number that God gave them in order for them to demonstrate their faithfulness. But he calls them to do it in a different way than what I think we're familiar with often. It's not begrudgingly. It's not to check a box and then ask the Lord, okay, God, I gave my 10th. You're going to bless me now? That's not the, the way that God wants us to approach the stewardship of resources that he's given us. He wants us to see them differently. And that's what I want us to walk away with here. Not getting caught up in the this word or a, a simple box to check, but the spirit behind what God has called us to do with all that he has given us. Tithing can be a great blessing. But here's three things to be careful of for those that tithe. Three dangers to avoid. Here's the first one. Giving with wrong motives or out of a sense of duty or fear, or greed. See, the Lord knows our hearts, right? And sometimes I say we might get caught in this pattern. We might say, you know what? I'm going to tithe because I'm asking the Lord to give it back to me tenfold. That's not how it works, folks. That's not how God ordains things. There's a lot of false teaching out there. There's people that actually stand up in churches and stand behind pulpits and will say that. If you give X, you'll get this. That is a lie from the pit of hell. Don't believe it. You know why? Because you've already been given what you need. That's Jesus. Greater than any resource that you could get doubled back on. God has given you his son in forgiveness of sins, in life eternally, and the opportunity to have it abundantly now. You give because God's already given, not to try to convince him to. That's manipulation. And you may be able to manipulate people around you, but you will not be able to manipulate God. He sees right through that stuff because he knows your heart. So giving with wrong motives is something to be very careful about. Secondly, 
Second thing to be careful of when thinking about tithing and giving is this. We need to be careful that we think we can do what we please with the 90% that remains. Check the box. Everything else, I've got free reign on, right? No. The 100% belongs to God. (laughs) He's asking you to do a portion of that with a portion of that, what he's called you to. Give back to his work and the things that he has given you as a demonstration that you believe him and you trust him. And then he's asking you to do with everything else exactly what he's asked you to do with everything else. Take care of needs, provide for yourself and your family, but all with this in mind. Everything we do is to direct people to his glory. Everything. So resources falls into everything. It's part of everything. So first, be careful about your motives. Second, be careful about what you think about the rest of what you think you have afterwards. And thirdly, danger to be careful of is giving only the tithe and failing to give other things that God convicts you to give. That you check a box with a tithe and you figure that's all that God's going to ask of you. Because I will tell you this, if you walk well with the Lord and you're growing in him, and you're considering all that you have is actually being owned by him, he's going to prick your heart on a few other things too. You're going to see somebody who has a need, and you're going to think, is God telling me to help with that? If you regard what you have too tightly, you won't be able to respond to the Spirit's leading. So God does want us to give. He does want us to tithe of the things that he has given us. But he doesn't want us to stop there. And he doesn't want us to find self-righteousness in it. He wants us to give with right hearts. How does this connect to us today? How does it apply? We don't have a physical temple that we show up to in order for sacrifices to be given and things to be burnt on the altar. And I don't want to burst anybody's bubble, but this building is not the temple. See, we don't live under the old covenant. We live under the new covenant. So what does the new covenant tell us? New covenant tells us that the house of God, the temple of God now resides in us. So how does that connect to what Ezra and Nehemiah are leading the people into now and their commitment to take care of the house of God? It was more than just taking care of a physical building even then. It was being committed to taking care of the work of God. The ministering to God's people and the spread of God's glory throughout the world. So when you hear the phrase throughout this passage, house of God, don't think it's just here. We live in the day and age where God has instilled the Holy Spirit into his people, which previously in the Old Covenant was contained inside the temple in a place that was very scary for anyone to go. Now, because of Jesus, that same Holy Spirit that needed to be contained in a place where it didn't consume people, because Jesus pays for our sins, that Holy Spirit indwells the believers. And the temple of the Holy Spirit is with us and in us, and going with us. The church is not this building. The word church 
is the bridegroom of Christ. The body of Christ is described to us. People are the church. This happens to be a building that the church gets together in, and we're thankful for it. It's beautiful. And God has provided for us as a church family. And there needs to be more people here. But you don't stop being the church when you leave on Sunday morning. You are the church. You don't go to church anymore. See, there was this restriction for the people of God back here. They had to go to the temple. They had to make their sacrifices. They had to do these things because that's the only place where God's presence could reside. Think about the freedom that God has provided for you because of Jesus. That his presence goes with you everywhere you go. That's the beauty of the people of God now. But it doesn't neglect us from committing to what God says here and calls his people to. We are still called to take care of the work of God. We are still called to make sure that God's people are encouraged and provided for and that the world is reached with his glory in the gospel. We're called to provide for those things. So don't, don't develop some sort of watered down other kind of theology because this isn't the temple. Actually, we are at a much greater responsibility because we are the temple of the Holy Spirit now. Think about that for a minute and how you take care of the things God's called you to and how you take care of your time and your resources and your talents and what you do for the mission of God. That's, we need to learn all these lessons that God has for his people in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant. And they're not absolved and go away. They're just transferred a little bit into the current freedom that God has given us to be the people of God on the mission of God with the power of God through the Holy Spirit. I hope I have been. <laughs> this is the thing, though, folks. This is the great riches that exist in the word of God. That you can read verses 32 through 39 and do one of two things. You can walk away going, I got no clue what they're talking about. I'm not bringing oil and cattle to the building. Okay? And I'm not asking you to. <laughs> Please don't. You can look at it that way or you can look at it this way. What are the principles that God is working out amongst his people in this text? And the principles he's working out are consistent now and today. He is the owner of all things. And we are called to be about the work of the Lord. So let's start seeing our stuff a little bit differently. At the danger of everything you own actually owning you. It's a phrase that's been passed on to me by one of our staff members here, Henry, right? Everything you own starts to own a little piece of you if you're not careful. So don't let that happen. 
That's what they're committing to here. They're committing to their stuff, not owning them. They're committed to God owning all things and their hearts being inclined towards the work of the Lord. So let's do that. And I will guarantee you this. If we do that well and faithfully and consistently, there will be no containing what God will do amongst us and amongst those around us. While the house of God is no longer a physical place, but is now a spiritual presence, we are still called to maintain the work of the Lord and to give generously and with good hearts. I'm going to take you to 2 Corinthians and read a passage of scripture for you before we close. This is an instruction from Paul to the church in Corinth, which he cared very deeply about. And this is his encouragement about their generosity. He says in verse 1, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own free will, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as, as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in, your, in, in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. The act of grace that is living generously. God calls us people to it in the old covenant. He calls us people to it in the new covenant. Paul encourages the early church to it. Be generous. And this idea of generosity is holding things with an open hand. And having hearts that are excited about how God might use things. Winston Churchill has a quote that I came across as I was preparing today. It's an interesting quote. I thought it was very poignant. It says, we make a living by what we get, but we make a life by what we give. It's not an innately spiritual comment, but I think it directly connects to what God has intended here. You can just make a living by what you get. And too many people in our day and age are just caught up in that. But you make a life by what you give. The generosity that God has bestowed upon us through his son should be worked out in how we generously live. Jesus has come to provide for your spiritual needs once for all time. You don't have to go to the temple and offer sacrifices. But how we give or how we hold on to our possessions reflects who we believe owns all things and how we view his generosity. We don't give so we can receive God's grace. We give because we have received God's grace. That's the difference in understanding the gospel in our lives. I'm going to ask that you continue to listen to the Lord as we transition in our time where we approach the Lord's table in communion. 
As we've talked about stewardship today and what God wants us to do with generosity in our own lives, it's a reflection of understanding how amazingly and miraculously generous he has been to us. And I also want to encourage you, if this is your first week with us or or maybe only you've been coming a couple of weeks, you're fairly new. As we approach the Lord's table, it's an opportunity for us, those who are followers of Christ, disciples of him, who have given our lives to the Lord and accepted his free gift of salvation through Jesus and as opportunity for those people who have done that to remember once again his body broken and his blood spilt. If you are newer and this is not a decision that you have made, I'd encourage you to consider that this morning deeply and listen to what the Lord is trying to call you to right now. Before any outward act, the inward heart change of experiencing new life in Christ through faith by his grace is the most important thing you'll ever consider. And if you're considering that this morning, My prayer is that you would listen to the Lord and give your life to him. And then be able to joyously take part in communion and remembering what he's done through Jesus. Let's pray and ask the Lord to continue to work in our hearts.